Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. It's a podcast where I talk with people that I'm genuinely interested in. Interesting people, interesting topics, interesting conversations. And today on the podcast, I have Jill Robinson, who founded Animals Asia many, many, many years ago. Um, Jill is an amazing woman who decided to take on a mission that at the time no one was no one was really doing anything about, to be honest. Bear biofarms is a horrendous practice in China where in Vietnam as well, where they keep bears in tiny, tiny cages where they basically can't move for 10, 20, 30 years and they extract bile from them with different methods. It's a horrendous practice and Jill is really doing amazing work with Animals Asia. She is the first animal or bear sanctuary, I apologize, in China. So she's been there for about 30, 35 years, doing amazing work, helping these bears, educating the public about the plight of these bears, and really reaching out to you know celebrities across the world to help back you know Animals Asia, to help spread the word, uh, to use social media. They're just really one of the most amazing nonprofits out there. And on top of that, they're one of the only, I believe, uh, nonprofits that are close to achieving what they set out to do. So they're very close to um, ending bear biofarms completely, both in Vietnam and in China. And the, the only way they do that is through help of obviously donations and volunteers and amazing people who give money, who give time, and really care about the the plight of the moon bears. So I had a great time having her on the podcast. She's uh, someone I've wanted to talk to for a while. I really admire people who are so single-minded in their approach and so goal-oriented and against all odds know that somehow justice will prevail and they will achieve the goal that they originally set for themselves. Um, so it's pretty amazing. You know, it took a long time. Uh, it's still going to take some more time, but they're making amazing strides. And if anyone can do it, definitely Jill Robinson is the person to do that. So without further ado, here is Jill Robinson. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Hey, Jill, how you doing? Hey, Roy, good. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm, uh, I've, I've been wanting to talk to you for, for many, many, many years, actually. I've had a few people on this podcast that, you know, have worked with you and they always mention you by name and, and, and it's, you know, they say what great, great work you've done and um, Animals Asia is obviously your your baby. It's something that you've... Uh, you've been doing for many years. So yeah, maybe we can uh, start there and you could walk us through how kind of how, how that got started. Oh, gosh, yes. Thank you. Well, it's been quite a journey, I have to say. Um, I mean, oh, goodness, really, from when I moved over to Hong Kong in 1985, with my then husband, who was an airline pilot here in Hong Kong. And um, gosh, I'd always I'd always loved animals. And, you know, when I came to Hong Kong, I was, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was thinking of going into television because I'd worked in TV back in the UK. 
um, and radio. But I, I, it was just one day that I was um, looking over onto the beach and um, there was a guy walking his cat on the beach. And I thought, oh, there's no other interesting thing. <laughs> um, and I went out to say hello. And um, it turned out he was the Asia representative for the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Um, and I became great friends with him and his wife. And I started volunteering with David um, Dawson. Um, and I began working with I4 for the next 12 years. And, and you know, after David had left Hong Kong, I took over his role and just thoroughly enjoyed my time. But it was actually in 1993 when I got a call from a journalist friend of mine who had just come back from a bear bile farm in China and just said, Jill, you have to go along and see this place and and my interest was of course immediately piqued I, I didn't know anything about bears at all I knew nothing about bear bio farming but I wanted to go along and see what was happening and um and I did I joined a, a, a I grabbed a couple of friends and we joined a tour group of Japanese and Taiwanese tourists went over the border to China found the bear farm um and then we went away from where the tourists were because they were really just being shown the shop and the breeding bears. Um, so nothing sort of really, you know, egregiously cruel and stark. And it was when we went down into the basement and saw these bears in tiny wire cages and their terrible injuries and, and the trauma that they were obviously going through. And we realized we'd come face to face with what was bear bar farming in its true reality. And, and it, it, it's just never left me. And, and it was at it was at that time as I was walking around the farm, I felt something touch my shoulder and I turned around and, and I thought, oh my gosh, you're going to be hurt because I'd obviously got too close to a, a, the cage. And a female bear just had her paw through the bars of the cage. And I did something which I say today was the most incredibly stupid thing I've ever done. But her paw was there and I just felt compelled to take it. Um, and she just, instead of hurting me, she squeezed my fingers. And as I've always said since, a message went between us and I've never seen her again. But from that second, everything changed. Everything about my life changed. And I knew that I I was inextricably drawn to, to this bear and to her message and to, I think, what became then a lifelong challenge of working to end bear bar farming in Asia. So after you, you know, go through that, Horrific experience. What are your next steps? You, do you do you go back? You know, talk to your husband. Do you start you know and start a nonprofit or try to to you know learn more about the topic? Kind of what are your next steps? Yeah, that's a good question, um, Roy. Um, of course, yeah, I, I spoke to my husband, and you know, it, it was obviously something that you know we knew that it was never going to to go away. And I think the first thing I wanted to do was to understand the mechanics of the use of bear bile in traditional medicine. So I started calling traditional medicine um, doctors in Hong Kong and meeting with them and just trying to understand this discipline of, of how bear bile was being used. And I think I got the biggest wake up shock that, um, you know, I wanted to write bear bile off as a, as a quack medicine. I couldn't believe that it actually worked, but I was very formally told that it, that it does work in traditional medicine terms. It's a cold medicine to treat heat related illnesses like high fevers and high temperatures, red and sore eyes, etc. And, you know, from, from there, I realized that we couldn't disparage traditional medicine, neither did we want to. I also looked at it more extensively from a Western perspective 
perspective and found actually that bear bile contains a very essential acid called ursodeoxycholic acid or UDCA. Um, and when I researched more into that component, I found that it, it, it really works. Again, it's something that has actually been synthesized in the West, not from bears, but chemically synthesized in a laboratory and has been used since the 1950s to cure, again, all manner of, of complaints and, and illnesses. Um, and in fact, even the Minnesota University in the US has been researching very, very extensively on ursodeoxycholic acid. So, you know, th those sort of wake-up calls really make you think that, um, you know, that, that, that actually while a substance is being used in traditional medicine, can we replace it? And that, again, was the next, the next issue and a very pleasant surprise um, talking with the doctors that said, yes, of course, in traditional medicine terms, you can replace bare bile with 54 different herbal alternatives in different usages and components, and of course, the synthetic alternative as well. So with that, armed with that information, I felt very strongly that, you know, we, we could make headway to work towards ending bear farming. And over the years, I formed relationships with government representatives in China, with NGOs, with people that felt as passionately as I did, um, and ultimately leading to the founding of Animals Asia in 1998, where that this was our pioneer program to do exactly, you know, to achieve our founding goal and end bear bar farming um, in, in China and Vietnam. So yeah, that's that's crazy. I always thought it was kind of like uh, tiger penis or rhino horn or all these things that are kind of steeped in tradition, but scientifically have zero benefits. But you're saying that there actually are benefits, but they're easily, um, you know, either scientifically synthesized or you can use plants and they would have the exact same benefits. Exactly. And in fact, you know, there's researchers in Hong Kong University, Dr. Fung Yi Bin, who has been extensively researching bear bile, and he's come out with the fact that the herb coptis um, is as good or better than bear bile for treating cancer cell lines. Um, and I can well believe that as well, especially, you know, in terms of the, the bile. That, I mean, we've rescued over 600 bears now, Roy, and, and to see the contaminant in the bile, you know, from, from these bears is 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 shocking absolutely shocking so i can only imagine that plants you know would would be as good as better because they don't contain yeah. the contaminant that bear bile yeah. contains so for people who may not know can you explain what bear bile farms are and what the extraction process is um well across asia you know thousands of bears are, are farmed for their bile um and have been since the early 1980s um it's a practice that sees different methods of bile extraction, ranging from metal catheters implanted into their gallbladders or latex catheters, um, or what is allowed now in China called the free drip fistula, which sees a hole um, being cut into the abdomen and the gallbladder. And the gallbladder brought to the front of the abdomen and adhered to the stitch to the abdomen, um, and where the fistula just sees bile freely dripping out. Um, in Vietnam, the method is um, slightly different in that the bear is again anesthetized, but with illegal ketamine in the country. Um, and as the bear is is unconscious, an ultrasound machine is used to detect the gallbladder. Um, and when the farmer believes that, or the operator believes that they've found the the gallbladder, they will use a six inch spinal needle 
to go into the gallbladder and take the needle out of the sheath. They will often lick it to determine that they've reached the bitter tasting bile. And when they're reassured, they'll put the needle back into the sheath and they'll pump out about 100 mil of bare bile. But, you know, through this time, you know, this is this is just the extraction process. And But through this time, these bears are, are lying in cages um, for their entire life, sometimes even up to 30 years of their life um, or until they die of disease, you know, which they very often do. And so there's all manner of problems physically and psychologically because of this practice. So they're very often engaged in bar biting and they'll shatter their own teeth as a result of that. They'll bang their heads against the cage. So they'll injure their eyes. Um, their eyes are also affected by the fact of poor nutrition on the farm, um, a lack of vitamin E. Um, and also because of the, um, if they, if they are diseased, the disease will often travel into their eyes and damage it. Um, they have mobility problems because they can't obviously move properly. They have heart problems because of the stress as well. Um, gosh, I mean, they, they just, you know, we call them our broken bears when we rescued them. They, they've really been through the most, most awful, awful life on these farms. But, you know, again, we're very grateful to the governments when we can rescue these bears. And as I say, with over 600 now, we're, we're, we're for sure forming together a very sort of concise inventory, if you like, of the bear bar farming practice, indeed to now to the moment where we've signed a memorandum of understanding with the Vietnam government to end bear bar farming once and for all by the year 2022. That's amazing. Well, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was certainly a celebration when we signed that MOU, I have to say, um, you know, because it's, it's something, you know, we, we were the first group, of course, you know, to, to start this. Um, and in Vietnam, you know, it's it's we've we've seen we've seen the climate change very, very much from government officials that were bear bar farmers, believe it or not, in the early days. Um, and now to government officials that will stand at tourist hotspots and hand out leaflets against bear bar farming. You know, over these years and years and years, we've seen great change in, in both countries, in China and Vietnam. We've seen, you know, a willingness to protect. Um, bears much more now in China as well. We've seen greater collaboration with the authorities in both countries. So, you know, it's a, it's a minefield to be honest with you, Roy. But at the same time, um, we're seeing great progress, and we're we're seeing you know great sort of um, confidence, I think, and comfort in the fact that our programs are touching the hearts and minds of of people in those countries and and seeing success. Is there a specific reason why they used moon bears uh, as opposed to other bears? Um, just because they 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 the most you know sort of populated bears in in those countries, um, to be honest. So, but but also you know when one looks at the content of the UDCA in their bile, it does seem that they have more of this um, essential acid than other bear species as well. So that's quite interesting, and it's interesting too how you know traditional medicine practi practitioners thousands of years ago you know, we're using this in very small amounts for very specific disease. But even then, all those years ago, that they knew that bear bar worked. 
So again, I think it's another reason why we can't always criticise the, the discipline of traditional medicine at all. And, you know, in, in Vietnam, especially, we work with a very large organisation, traditional medicine organisation there of some 70,000 members who have also agreed to give up the, the use and prescription of bare bile um, by the end of this year as well, you know, believing again that, that there are many components that can take its place. So it's it's an in, it's been an interesting journey again, as I said at the beginning. It's 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 taught us a lot, and I think in cases such as rhino horn, you know, it, it would be difficult to just you know to to say that 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 those sort of um, products work, um, but with bare bile, we absolutely you know have to say that that they do. We have to give give that at least respect to traditional medicine but at least also they give the respect back to the animals now and say that again it can easily and cheaply be replaced by herbs and synthetics. In your professional opinion what do you think is the best way to drive down demand is it through education regulation or maybe a combination of both? Um, yeah, there, there's a lot going on now, you know, as I said, especially in China, where we are ending it by the year 2022. So it's seen a lot of work with the governments, with foreign embassies there, of course, public education programs, working with the traditional medicine doctors. We have, you know, regular clinics where the doctors come along for local communities and talk about the use of bare bile and then bring along the herbal alternatives that, that the local community can try. And if they like it, which they always do, because we're giving out free samples and they can see for themselves that the, the alternatives work. So then they're, they're more inclined to, to move away from the bare bile, of course. We do a lot of work in schools. Um, we have, you know, competi painting competitions. We have competitions where the kids can grow the herbal alternatives in the gardens of their schools. We have celebrities helping us across the country. Um, you know, it's it's a really big holistic approach to ending bare bile farming in Vietnam. And and as I say, it's it's becoming now to the point where we're very, very excited that, you know, it, it, it's finally done. It's it's just done there. How difficult was it to get permissions to start the sanctuary? I know you have the only animal sanctuary, um, definitely the only bear sanctuary in the whole of China. So how difficult was that? Did you have to go into discussions with the government, um, maybe take us through the process of how difficult it was to get that started. Yeah, another another very long journey and, and you know, just creating the trust with the Chinese authorities who have been, you know, very supportive of the sanctuary being established. So, you know, forming an, an alliance, a collaboration, if you like, with the, um, with the, forestry department there in the country um and and also you know sort of embarking on other programs right as well you know to protect bears in the wild obviously with human conflict mitigation to uh, human bear conflict mitigation um there as well you know where obviously the human habitat is growing into bear habitat um, you know you're seeing more and more conflict there so it's sort of trying to work with the local field biologists and understanding um, the extent of the problem. So we're supplying things like uniforms and camera traps um, to the biologists so that they can go out and do their research in the field. And once that they've got the research to hand and they can, you know, see from the camera traps where the bears are coming in and what the problems are, then to work on problems, you know, how to mitigate those problems as well with them. So, you know, it's trying to, again, keep the community as safe as well as the bears. Um, in China and indeed in Vietnam. And, and you're right about the demand. You know, this obviously, you know, we, we, 
this isn't the end of the program, just ending ending bear farming, because there's still obviously going to be um, a certain amount of demand. So it just means that the government and ourselves and other NGO other NGOs are certainly going to go out into have to go out in programs of, of awareness now um, in the field and into the communities to try to um, you know encourage a greater respect and support of living harmoniously with the bears in the wild. With the prevalence and the uptick in zoonotic diseases and more and more media attention, more government government attention being put on it, um, do you see a reduction or some implementation by the Chinese government to reduce the wet markets and the wildlife trade and bear bile farms, uh, farms, of course? It's an interesting question. There already has been great steps by the Chinese government to close down the wild animal markets of the country. Um, and I think we need to make the distinction between live animal markets and wet markets. Wet markets are, are being used now um, all the time, and that's the wrong term. We, we're all very familiar, even here in Hong Kong, with wet markets. They're literally just a fresh produce market and very different from live and wild animal markets. But in terms of the latter, the, the, the Chinese government is, has already closed them down um, and prohibited the use and the consumption of wild animals. Um, but obviously, there are, um, you know, there are areas where wild animals are still allowed to be utilized. And that's in the, in the areas of, re of scientific research in display and in medicine as well. So, you know, bear bar farming is still a legal practice in China. And, you know, hopefully as we as we go on, you know, with the program, especially in Vietnam to end it there, we hope that, you know, the, the, the way that this this works is to, you know, do this without any embarrassment, you know, without any looking back, you know, making the government and the farmers and the country itself, um, you, you know, as, as sort of, of proactive in ending the trade so that there's, there's not a blame game. No one likes being told what to do. Um, and so, you know, we want, we want to do this right so that everybody comes out winning, not least the bears. Once you get the call from a farmer and they tell you, hey, come pick up this, this bear, uh, for whatever reason, they don't want it there anymore. What's the process of getting that bear from how you call, how you say, uh, broken bear to a healthy, happy bear that can roam around the the grounds of the rescue center? Um, you know, I'm sure there's a, a lengthy process where they have to go through a lot of rehabilitation. Maybe take us through that process. And um, I guess, have you ever been able to release a bear into the wild? Um, we've released one bear. We were very, very excited to have been brought on board by the Chinese government to help them with the bear just down the road from where our sanctuary is in Sichuan province, um, a bear that had been um, caught in the wild in a leg hold trap. Um, and we drove up and found this, you know, skinny bear that had been obviously being caught for several days. Her mum was nowhere near her. She was a, probably a yearling by then. Um, and <clears throat> we managed to anesthetize her obviously and bring her back to our sanctuary where our vet team um had no alternative but to amputate the diseased the now diseased poor um but we kept her very wild at the sanctuary you know obviously when we rescue the bears normally 
um, you know, we're obviously having to try and encourage their trust in humans because they're going to be with us for life. Um, but with Rainbow, we tried to retain her wildness so she couldn't always see who was feeding her. You know, we just threw the food in. She wasn't able to see human presence as she was healing. Um, and, and again, we kept her wildness. We, we, a few weeks later after the surgery, and we took her back up into the mountainside where the government had already cleaned, swept the area for any other traps there. So we released her in, an, a, in a similar area where we'd found her. Um, and lo and behold, you know, we, we actually, her collar had failed. The, the GPS collar had failed. So we were very sad about that. We thought we'd never see or hear from her again. Um, and yet it was a year later that the government sent us um, a film from a camera trap with a three-legged bear, obviously rainbow, hopping around in the countryside, wow. in the in the forest. It was, yeah, it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. So, um, you know, it, it obviously proves it can be done um, in China. And and we, we obviously, we love programs like that with the government because it was a fantastic proof of collaboration, you know. Um, but yeah, in um, in terms of the rescue, um, every single one is different. Um, you know, we we get the call to go out and and, and rescue these bears. Uh, either the trucks, as very often in China, the trucks will come to our gate, still with the bears in their original cages, or more the case in Vietnam, we'll get asked to go to a bear farm to bring the bears back from that bear bar farm, um, and you. You know, we call these bears our kinder surprise bears. You just never know. You know, those chocolate surprise things that you yeah, get yeah. with the toys inside. You yeah. never know what the toys are. <laughs> I, never I know what the bears Right, right. Well, that's our kinder surprise bears. We never know what we're going to see when we turn up at the farms. You know, our amazing team, they are superb. And, and you know, you, 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 you walk onto the farm, you have to try to trust what the farmer is saying, how long they've had the bears, when they last extracted the bears, when they last gave the anesthetic, you know, because that obviously affects our decision on whether we need to anesthetize the bear or not to get them out of the cage. Um, you know, the method of bile extraction, what the bears like to eat, um, you know, where they came from. You know, just the, the whole, and you know, you don't always get the truth, I have to say, from the farmers. So we're almost like detectives as well, you know, just observing those bears in the early minutes that we arrive on the farm and just deciding if it's safe to remove them from the cage while they're conscious, you know, backing up our recovery cages, our transport cages next to the cage where they are and letting them step in so that we can take them back for a proper health check back at base or whether we need to anesthetize them on site at the farm and bring them back then. And of course, once we get them back to the sanctuaries, well, that's a whole new um, storybook opening up in front of our eyes because once we've got them safely, you know, um, in the quarantine area, um, we're just observing them unless they're very, very sick, of course, and need and need, you know, um, urgent surgical intervention. We're just basically observing them for a few days just to see if they're eating OK, what their preferences are, what their injuries are, if any, um, you know, what we think we can do to help and 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 just assessing them every single day. And our team teams are amazing at that in both countries. Um and then finally to the stage of obviously getting them on the health check table for a full health check, you know, working up on the bloods, um, just looking at every single component of their health while they're on while they're on the surgery table, doing ultrasound, heart checks, just absolutely dentals, all, all the bears, basically nearly all the bears will need dentals as well, as I said earlier, because they've broken their teeth on the bars. 
So there's just a ton of things. Many of them have the mobility problems that need medication for life as well or heart problems, et cetera, et cetera. Some of them will have gallbladder trauma. Some of them will have, you know, um, cancers as well and that we have to we have to deal with. So, you know, it's a it's it's an amazing, amazing thing, I have to say. And, and you know, our, our job is to keep them for as long as we can and keep them happy and healthy as we can for for years, if not decades, hopefully. And, and, and I mean, what is the criteria that the farmers call you? I mean, is it because they can't extract any more bile from them? Or are they just too, too, too close to dying? Are they just in really bad shape? I mean, at, at, what, at what point do some of these farmers give you a call and say, hey, come pick up this bear? It's a combination of things. And again, in Vietnam, you know, because bear farming is illegal, um, you know, the farmers are... are ever since 2005 when they were allowed to microchip their bears and keep them ostensibly as pets and of course they don't keep them as pets at all but they're still extracting their bile but you know if if they're exposed for extracting you know the government will then come to us to ask us to you know help confiscate those bears um some of the farmers do indeed want to give them up as well um and they you know they're the people that we really want to hold up now uh, you know some of your listeners might be shocked to hear us say as, as heroes but you know this is the thing that we want to do we want to gain to show these farmers as being at least kind enough to realize that you know what their past practices have, have not been kind to the bears and this is animals asia showing our kindness in action to rescue them and to show to the farmers again our gratitude for them giving these bears up so it, it, there are there are very very different scenarios you know every single time to these farmers giving up their bears sometimes you get their children convincing them to give them up as well because of the work that we've done in the schools you know that that often happens as well we work in key gut you know bear farming hotspots right in the middle of these places where kids are going to schools whose parents are indeed bear bar farmers so you know if every story is different um but it, it it's again it's a, it's a wonderful thing when when we are able to go out there and bring these bears home because you know again going back to you know after the health check after after any surgery that they've needed after removing these bears pain pain is the mo is the is the biggest you know component here i think and and once that is removed you suddenly see them becoming bears again you know they get their curiosity back they get their sense of mischief back they get to trust people again And then we can start slowly integrating them, you know, in enclosures. Our enclosures are absolutely beautiful, you know, with, with anything up to 24 bears in each enclosure in Vietnam. And, and just to see, see these, these groups of bears together, you know, it, it's, it, I mean, bears are not naturally social, sociable in the wild either. So, uh, you know, to, to see them, as we, we call with the boys in bear bundles of play, um, they're giddy absolutely giddy with excitement they turn somersaults on their own because they can they destroy everything that they can all the enclosure furniture because they can you know our team has to work very very hard to give them a comprehensive enrichment program to allow them to behave like bears um you know and just watch out that they're not destroying the trees that you know they it's it's just a, a fantastic thing and it makes us very privileged to be working with them Yeah. I mean, there, there's a beautiful video where you see, I, I don't remember the name of the bear, but there's this one bear never seen water in his, you know, or hers 10, 15, 20 years. And all of a sudden, they're just, this bear just in the water. You can, she's just playing, just so happy. 
And it's, you know, it almost brings a tear to your eye, you knowing that this bear has been in the cage for 99% of, of his life, just without the ability to move. And now when he's in water, you just see them thrive all of a sudden. Totally. That was a bear called Tuffy and that video went viral. I mean, it was the most joyous thing as you say to watch, but even the simple things when you give them food that they've never had before, they'll use their paws like a dinner plate. So they'll have it sort of fur side up, not pad side up, and they'll just put the food on the pad and they'll cautiously sniff it or nibble at it or play with the other, you know, with the claws of their other paw. It, it's just wonderful to see their, their eyes opening up to a whole new world that they've never experienced before. Um, you know, and as I say, their sense of play with the other bears, their sense of mischief and fun. They'll go running up to another bear who's happily eating in the grass and bite their bum and run away, you know, <laughs> and you can see that's you can almost hear them laughing. They have an absolute beautiful sense of mischief about them as well. Um, they're very dog-like as well. And, you know, it's, it, it's I, yeah, and the swimming, as you say, you put even tiny little paddling pools into the enclosure, apart from the lovely big swimming pools that they have. And they have such fun like children in a paddling pool, you know, just splashing and splashing. Um, and, oh, blowing bubbles and, and you know <laughs> it's 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 just wonderful to see them yeah i had uh, earlier you mentioned that some of the, the the kids of of these you know quote-unquote farmers are telling them you know to, to either release the bears or they're 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 more understanding of the situation maybe than their parents and i had um paul hilton who, who you know um on oh, yeah. a few few episodes ago and he was saying a similar thing about the shark fins he was saying that obviously, you know, China is the biggest um, consumer of shark fin soup, but it's almost entirely the older generation and the, the the younger generation, you know, people in their 20s, millennials, they don't really consume that as much. Is, is that true for, I think, uh, you know, the majority of these type of, quote, you know, quote unquote, foods or, or, or um, herbal yeah. med or, you know, all these traditional medicines that they use? Is it more? The older generation yes it is well look you know in terms of the the, med the medicine maybe not always you know i think traditional medicine in both china and vietnam you know is still a very popular discipline um and something as i said that we can't disparage you know and i think as well you know there was a time just a, a while a few years ago in vietnam where younger generation were using bear bile because the rumor went round that it was good as a hangover cure um, you know, so so that thing is is obviously deeply disturbing, and that's why it's so important for the education, um, you know, programs to be kicking in. But you know, again, I think in terms of animal welfare and conservation, absolutely, you're right. You know, this is where the younger generation are really coming into their own. We've never seen an explosion of you know groups now in China and in Vietnam, you know, compared to what they were in the past. I always say that, you know, when I started in China in the 80s, there was one animal welfare group, and now there's over 200 animal welfare groups. And, you know, I defy anyone to say that China, you know, doesn't care about animals. I think people are very willing to write off a whole country, you know, and, and say, oh, they, they like anything to eat with four legs except a table, you know, or anything that fly, you know, anything that flies except an aeroplane. Is good to I eat. I haven't, this is just, I haven't heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an old saying. It's a very old saying um, in China, actually, spoken about 
Guangzhou, uh, Guangdong province in the south. But it's it's not true anymore. You know, there are very, very passionate people. And what I love about the groups, the animal welfare groups in China, especially, is that they work so collaboratively with the governments. They are so intelligent. They are very science based as well. Um, and you know, it, it, it's everything relies on paper in China, and and so you really have to sort of go to the nth degree to prove something is fact, which is great because it means that things like the Doctor Dog program that I started many many years ago in 1991, where you see dogs going to hospitals and disabled centres, you know, as a form of animal therapy. Now, for people like you in the West, that's not new. You know, that yeah. everybody knows that. We see it in the Lancet, the British Medical Journal, American papers that, you know, being in close association with dogs is good for our physical and psychological health. It's proven it's done. But of course, we had to go a long way to do the same in China. And But once we did, you know, you get people on board that, you know, that really then take this dream, take this idea and push it out there in the community. And we've now got these dogs going into hospitals, disabled centres, home for the blind and the deaf and the elderly. We've got dogs going into schools to help children enhance their reading abilities as well. We've got teachers on board and, you know, universities joining with us. It's a, it's a fantastic time now, to, you know, to be to be working in, in China, especially, I think, um, you know, in terms yeah. of, of having these dogs there. I mean, you're you're in the heart of it, but I mean, it, to be honest, it's it's hard, man. A lot of times, you'll see pictures, you'll see videos of you know dogs being tortured, of the the um, the bears in in these little cages being you know stuck with needles for twenty years, and 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 the shark fins and the pangolins and the wet markets or or you know the the, the, the wild trade uh, markets. Um, it's it's hard when you see those images, you know, people from the West who were so connected to our dogs. I mean, my dog is it's like a child to me. You know, I'm, I'm, I have yeah. a bond with it. I'm very connected with it. And I think a lot of times people from the West, they see those images and they get a, a certain idea about what Asia in general and China specific, um, you know, the type of relationship that they have with animals. Yeah, but, you know, again, it's not an exclusive club cruelty in China, you know, or Vietnam. It's, it, it happens everywhere. And, you know, where I come, you know, the UK, obviously horrible practices such as badger baiting and fox hunting, you know, and obviously the, the, the slaughterhouse issues now. No wonder the slaughterhouses are, are, you know, and it's being brought into law, I think, in the, in some areas in the States, not to allow cameras in slaughterhouses for very yeah, good reason. Get, because of awful practices going on so you know we're, we're not contained in these countries from animal cruelty whatsoever yeah do do some no, of the dogs that sorry go on sorry? no no i was, I was oh, just gonna ask some of some of the dogs that, that you guys um because i know you rescued uh dogs as well do do you try to you know find them homes in 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 china or do some of them get sent to, to europe and to the u.s no, we're not. We're not active in dog rescue, um, Roy's at all. We, we've rescued a, a few dogs. We brought back to our sanctuary in China as as our ambassadors. Um, but there are there are of course other groups that are, are doing the dog rescue. Our our program is in in China is 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 more holistic than that. You know, very very heavily based on the public education programs. So we have conferences every year, for example, with, you know, Chinese government officials and the leaders of the non-government groups, um, hundreds of people in the same room talking about the issues to hand and, and you know, how we can solve them. 
um, you know, working with the local NGOs um, who have sanctuaries, who have shelters, dog and cat shelters. We help them to upgrade their shelters, you know, upgrade their biosecurity protocols, help them out of, I think, a state of mind where they're just collectors and just rescuers in terms of helping them with their public education programs and, and you know, helping them with fundraising and fundraising and, and helping them with their sort of psychological state as well, you know, in terms of what they see every day, how they deal with that. Um, gosh, working, of course, with uh, the governments on rabies control, for example, as well, um, and showing that the current methods to try to um, deal with a rabies outbreak you know where they where they're culling the dogs in one area isn't the right way to deal with rabies and it's proper down to proper management you know dog management control um just a whole raft of of, of programs that, you know videos that we send out across the country that shows how people can connect better with dogs and cats in society too you know kids that have never known dogs how to recognize their body language how to recognize dog how to approach dogs safely um you know uh, gosh as I said before, teaching children how to read properly through having Dr. Dogs as their teachers, believe it or not, you know, and the reading materials that the kids are reading to the dogs, um, being all about the environment and the world around them and animal welfare, et cetera, et cetera. So lots and lots of different projects that, that bring people closer to dogs, you know, harmonize people in the community with dogs and give, make them more sympathetic towards them, um, you know, as a whole. Um. So your your organization, I'm assuming it's a nonprofit. So I'm assuming you know all the income you have is is based on donations. Do you did you have are you having any issues now with you know these COVID times? You know I know people are a little bit um everyone's stressed out, people losing their jobs. So has that affected you guys in any way? Yes, it has. Of course, I don't. You know, with among many many NGOs, we've been you know affected. Um, we've had to you know, rein in programs, we've had to do cost cuts, we've got contingencies, you know, for more contingencies for if this gets worse. Um, you know, at the beginning, we had huge problems, especially in China, trying to source um, food and medication for the bears and for our teams as well, of course. Um, you know, that settled down a little bit. I mean, what we could get with the prices were through the roof as well. So we're in a little bit better place now um, in China. But of course, as I said, as an organization, we've had to really cut back costs. And, you know, we're extremely worried, extremely worried. I can't tell you, you know, is because, again, we've, we've, we've got mouths to feed. You know, it's not just we're not just an NPO that's raising money for education programs. You know, those, those of course, can be stalled. But we have have very very hungry and very greedy mouths to feed in terms of the bears. So that's that's a problem for us, and will be until the, until this virus has, you know, the consequences of the virus have passed. Yeah. How much has uh, you know social media and then celebrity backing? There's people like Ricky Gervais and 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 a few others that that I've seen, um, you know, promote you guys. How much has that um, helped push the the message out? Yeah. Wonderfully, of course, always does. You know, it's 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 fantastic to see them. We we're very 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 blessed with our with our ambassadors. You know, in in the US we have the wonderful Ali McGraw. Remember from Love Story. Um, we yeah. have Leslie Leslie Nicole who um, stars as Mrs. Patmore in Downton Abbey. Um, we, together with Peter Egan, who's our UK ambassador as well. Um, we have the lovely Olivia Newton John. Um, who lives in the, in, in the US as well, of course. 
Um, Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses. We have quite a diverse selection of of celebrity help um, who who do, you know, of course, you have. And and these are the real deal as well. We do obviously have to vet our celebrities um, very seriously too, you know, um, just to to ensure that they, they are... They are good with animal welfare, <laughs> and yeah. of course they are as well. Yeah, they are, and and they've become great friends as well. I, I get an enormous kick of, of being friends with our celebrities as well. I, I have to say, you know, I, I'm not sure that Leslie will listen, but Leslie Nichol is is just is just amazing. Um, I, I I love I love just you know we all do we all love Leslie connecting with her and Ali Ali McGraw. She's funny as hell as well. So it's um, these are good. These are good people that um, that really get it and work their socks off to help us as well. So a big, huge, huge thank you to our celebrities. Well, well you're going to have the link to, to that to this episode, so you can send them, and, and I'm sure they'll appreciate it. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. So I mean, a little bit of a of a of a turn, but I mean, when like I said, when you look at the the social media landscape, and then you look into animal rights and stuff it's sometimes it's amazing how unbelievably cruel humans can be and, and what we inflict on humans but then other times it's unbelievably amazing when you see how many amazing people there are that radiate good energy and you know attract people um to them so people like yourself people like jane goodall captain paul watson uh, lincoln O'Berry, and, you know all these other people that start movements and, and bring forth uh, some sort of a revelation that that people or a story that people just had no idea about before, and they start a movement and bring people, you know, to stop whatever the, the injustice is. What what in your opinion is is that thing that that makes people like yourself and others do this and and, and keep at it and not stop even ten, fifteen, twenty years after you know not necessarily stopping the thing that they wanted, but just incrementally stopping it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously, it's passion at the core, but I think it's a defining moment very often, you know, and as I say, it was it was that that moment that, that the bear squeezed my hand and it just set me on the trajectory. And I think once you sort of dive into something like this, there's, there's no way that you can leave it. it. It just becomes so much more than a job. It's, it's just simply your way of life. And you become buoyed so much by the successes that you see as well, you know. And I think, again, just 30 years, 35 years, gosh, now here in this neck of the woods, you can see great change. I, you know, Roy, I wouldn't be wasting your time. I wouldn't be wasting our supporters' time. And I certainly wouldn't be wasting our staff time if, if we weren't seeing the progress that we're seeing. But we are. We can take enormous confidence, I think, that our programs are, are, are very surely working um, and, and, you know, and again, with the privilege it is to work with the animals themselves as well, you know, just to see the light come on in their eyes after they've been you know, so, so deeply, deeply affected and hurt as they have in the past. And now to see their whole characters change, it, it's just it's wonderful. It just gives you such a sense of fulfillment and pride. And, and you know, it's it, it. I mean, it just embarks, I think, on our new tagline, which is kindness in action. And I think in this day and age, this whole world needs a lot more kindness. And I think that's one of our values now is to try to spread that. I think everybody is being more kind. You know, everyone that's on lockdown is seeing the value of checking out your neighbours, you know, making sure your family are OK, even if you can't be near them. You know, and, and that's what we're trying now to encourage in that deeper connection with the animal world. Because, and again, with coronavirus, this is this is has helped us now because things have to change. We cannot carry on the way we are. 
and we have to change. And so that keeps us going, I think, to answer your question. We, you know, we are, we are seeing that change. We are seeing that kindness in action and we have to, we have to encourage more of it. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, we, we need more people like you and, and, and people who dedicate their lives to a cause. Um, but, you know, do some of the images that, that you've seen over the years, um, do those stay with you? Or is that something that you know how to compartmentalize and, and, and you know, stuff down or talk through or, or whatever it is that you do to, you know, to, to live yeah. with it? It's, I mean, it's all of us, Roy. It's not just myself. You know, I worry about our younger vet nurses, for example. You know what I mean? And our, our bear carers, the sort of stuff that they see as well. It's no different, you know. And of course, I've, I've been going to these markets, as I said, for over 30 years now. And you, you never, you never get over it, I think. But I think, you know, we, we encourage a lot of psychological help as well. You know, we encourage a lot, a lot of conversations when you come back from seeing these places, a lot of discussions to help people. If people need more of a backup, we offer that as well. You know, and, and myself personally, I think I'm quite good at compartmentalizing. Um, I have the same problem with that. Same problem. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of deep, dark boxes, I think. Um, in my head that might open one day but you know what at the end of the day as well again we are so blessed to have the consequences of this good work with these bears tumbling out of their dens every morning you know and, and seeing the sheer joy of life that they have that I think that heals our soul as well. It heals our hearts and our minds too. So um, I'm sure they, they, they well, we always say they rescue us as much as we rescue them. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, you know, but sometimes when when I, I was watching the footage on, on YouTube and looking at, at the videos of some of the bears and, and the rehabilitation, and some of them, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's because they're moon bears and they're slightly different, they're obviously different than, you know, what we have here in the, U the, the U.S., the black bears, the grizzly bears, et cetera. Um, but they almost look, I don't know, for, for lack of a better word, almost deformed. I don't know if it's because they've been in these, cages and their growth has been stunted and they just weren't able to, to fully mature as possible but they they almost look different than what i'm assuming a a, a a moon bear in the wild would look like right yeah i mean yeah many of them are many of them are you know we have some you know fantastic bears that have not been farmed for long or not kept in cages and you can very much as you say see the difference between them and the bears that have been farmed we've got a whole house in vietnam called the little toy bear house which is full of what we call our munchkin bears <laughs> they're, they're little bears like 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 um, hamsters <laughs> or guinea pigs that run around you know their legs are yeah. so much shorter haven't been able to you know provide the space to grow when they've been in these cages and you know their whole body conformation is so badly out you know so badly deformed um that but you know they've turned into delightful little little munchkins as i say and it's just so nice to be able to turn that into a into a description of love if you like you know and to just bring people in on this journey of ours as well to understand their background but gosh how they recover and how they how such you know what a stoic species they are you know the propensity they have to recover from all of this is they're, they're just wonderful animals to work with yeah i know i know there's a movement in in many countries and uh they've they've made basically animal circuses illegal uh which is one again it's one of those industries i just find so cruel and demeaning you know to put 
these highly intelligent animals in skirts and make them walk on a ball or, or jump through a hoop of fire or whatever the, the stupid thing that, that they make them do. Um, you know, there's certain videos where I just watch and I just, I get infuriated. It just is so infuriating. But um, yeah, like I said, it I know is- there's a lot of countries. I know there's a lot of countries that are, they've made it completely illegal. Um, is, yeah. is, you know, are you seeing that happen in, in, in Asia generally and in, in China specifically? Okay. Very much. This is our captive animal welfare program that's run by our animal welfare director, Dave Neal. It's fantastic, Roy. And it, as you say, animal performance is the most demeaning thing and, and such a crime to these animals So, in terms of exploiting them um, in every sense of the word. We've got a program called Not Born to Perform. And, you know, this is something that we're seeing again. You know, we've got a long, long way to go, clearly. But Dave and his team have done such amazing work in China, in Vietnam, to stop animal performances and to really sort of drive this education program through the community, you know, to asking people not to visit circuses that, you know, that, that exhibit um, pitiful animals, as you say, dressed in skirts and doing and doing performances as well. So there is a long way, but, but certainly the, the schools and university programs that's what makes them so critical so important today and you know when you see university students you know compiling creating the most amazing artistry that they do you know we ask for posters to be um, created and oh my goodness the imagination that goes into those Um, and then those same posters are displayed you know free of charge in things like railway stations and um, bus stations and you know in public areas exhibitions and things as well so step by step you're not going to stop these things overnight as you don't obviously anywhere else you know in the USA for example but you start sowing that seed and we're certainly seeing that grow now in China and Vietnam. And and on that note, did you see the movie uh, or not movie the the series Tiger King? <laughs> Do you know I saw the first episode, and I'll be completely honest with you. I just I sat and looked at it with disbelief, absolute disbelief, and I thought I don't think I can waste another six hours of my life watching this. <laughs> I, I, I did. I, I tell you honestly, I, I just I felt I felt. I felt ashamed as a human being watching that. And I just thought, I, I, I can't, you know, we, we do enough in, in China and Vietnam, you know, to, to try to turn things like that around. And, and I, yeah, no, I, I lost the will to live. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I got, I, I watched the whole thing. And after watching it, I, I, was, I you know, I fe- so basically what happened is the, the woman that runs the, the animal, the animal, the cat sanctuary, she, according to her, she says that the guy, the director, when he approached her, he said this would kind of be the black fish for tigers, right? It would uh, expose the, the backyard breeding, all these little uh, um, uh, places where they keep tigers in these tiny cages. And it was supposed to be of movement, just like blackfish was. Again, according to, to um, what's her name, Carol Baskin. But that yeah. obviously never happened. And they made this guy, Joe Exotic, to be a cultural phenomenon. and. I just never understood why they didn't focus on the fact that these poor, poor um, um, cats are just treated horrifically and killed. And wow. just, they're, wow. they just ne- they didn't put the attention. They put the attention on, on the freak, which is, again, this is the U.S. They love to do that because it's, it's sensationalism. It's, you know, it, it becomes a meme. It's very Internet worthy, especially in this uh, viral day and age where everything goes viral but i just felt it was just such a missed opportunity for such a show such a huge show 
to show the plight of these poor cats in these backyard cages. Um, and it was just, again, such a missed opportunity in, in my opinion. Right. I mean, you just had, I mean, the first episode again, it just made me so devastated and ashamed again as a, as a human, you know, to just see that the, the animals morbidly obese for a start, morbidly obese, you know, and, and it was from that, that second on, I thought, gosh, another friend of mine saw it, the whole thing, but she said she also felt ashamed at the end of it to the extent that she said she would dedicate the, those seven hours into fundraising and conservation, you know, just, oh, wow. just so that they would, they wouldn't be wasted. So <laughs> which I thought, well, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I, I wish more people would do that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's America is, um, it's a funny place. It is a funny place. I don't know how to how to explain it. It's it's got a lot of amazing, magnificent people. Some of the smartest in the world, but then also some of the I don't want to say some of the dumbest, but definitely Joe Exotic is is a representation of that. So we'll leave that. <laughs> um, so I, I guess I'll leave on on, on the last uh, question. Uh, just as far as your your staff and volunteers, um, you know, what's the you know, what's the size of the place and the, and the size of your staff? How many volunteers do you have? I mean, it must be 24-7, and these must be super dedicated okay. people to, to work under those conditions. It is. I mean, we've got the two sanctuaries, which I should say as well, we're very, very proud to have been awarded the um, Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries Award. You have to jump through a lot of hoops to get that award in, in both China and Vietnam. So um, and we're the only group to have them um, in China. So we for or, and for bear, for bears in Vietnam as well. So we're, we're extremely proud of that. Um, and that's that's become you know, as a result of years and years, when we first began, goodness, you know, we we were learning from ground zero. There's no there's no question about that. But over the years, we've certainly learned our lessons a lot. And I'm even I'm surprised. You know, we've got over 300 staff now. Um, you know, which you have to have to to be looking after these magnificent animals. Um, we do have a volunteer program. People can go on to our website and have a look at that if they're interested in joining a volunteer program. We do ask for experience in you know in animal management, but but if you do have that, hop on and have a look. Um, and yeah, please also help us, you know, to to work towards that conclusion. It's I, I don't think many NGOs can say that they're going to reach the goal for which they were founded, and and we've certainly done that with Vietnam and ending bear farming. So, you know, it gives us enormous courage now to continue, um, you know, to 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 other aspects. And yeah, I just want to I want to and you know when you say about in America, we have got a fantastic ground base of support there, you know, wonderful, wonderful American supporters. So I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you. Thank you to Paula and our team in, in our office there in LA and to all our supporters across the country. You've, you've kept us going. You keep us keeping on. So thank you. Yeah, I, I, I hope they hear it. And uh, yeah, like, like you said, um, go to Animals Asia, uh, go to all their social media. If you can donate, uh, can you know maybe support in other ways share their message share their stories um yeah just whatever we can because like i actually never thought of it that way but yeah there's not a lot of ngos out there that are close to completing the mission that that, that they started and that's amazing that you guys are close to that so thank you so much for doing what you do that's uh that's a, that's really amazing thank you roy thank you for the opportunity to chat with you today i really enjoyed it yeah, same here. Uh, hopefully we can do it uh, in the future again. So uh, again, thank you so much for everything that you've done over the years. 
And uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Bless you. Keep safe. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.